0: Welcome to the Old School podcast about the American education system, its quirks, its characteristics, its traits, its, uh, I don't know what else you call it, but just the different uh, aspects of the nomenclature of said American education system, perhaps an ability to define problems and offer solutions. And so far as you know, the solutions. Good morning here, Dr. Bourgeois.
1: Hello here, Miller. Um, you need to let me pause to look up the word nomenclature. You've never used that one before.
0: <laughs> I got distracted halfway through. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm in my <laughs> office. And so it faces outside and I saw a squirrel go by. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, squirrel. <laughs> so you I'll left just, your seat? <laughs> well, no, it was almost like it just kind of like stopped halfway across the window and kind of looked in my direction. They can't possibly see me, but, uh, or maybe they can't, okay. I don't know.
1: <clears throat> So you you think of it it as a a sign, you know, a portent (laughs) to to send your ships to war or something. Well, you
0: hear that often, you know, in various cultures, they give great uh, credence to the behavior of animals at certain particular times. And so that's, I don't know, maybe that squirrel (laughs) stands. (laughs) Particularly the friendly squirrel. I don't think there's a, I don't think there are friendly squirrels. I think they're all just horrible, vile creatures with diabolical intent and mischievous um, thoughts. I don't trust them. Well, you
1: shouldn't trust any animal. I um, don't. That's why I don't have any animals
0: in the <laughs> You know, my daughter really, since she was born, has been asking for an animal and, I, and I, I'm holding firm. Yeah. Get her a horse. <laughs> something <laughs> something off property. <laughs> I don't know if my, you know this my, or not, but I'm a teacher, so.
1: Oh yeah,
0: I think that would be fun to get a pet, right? No, yeah, you're not doing I, a pet. I mean, you've got okay. your own little all all things, all creatures, great and small, hanging out at your
1: house, but not here. Well, it it it, it it'll reduce your stress. Um, there's research on that. You pat the belly of a dog for a while, and. You're, Blood pressure will go down. It'll save your life, Ross. Until you die alone
0: and they start eating your body. <laughs> That's not what they do. That's what they do. That's what they all do. That's what I hear. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not fault you, you cannot convince me of the merits of having animals in this house. Um, I have had eight years to refute any and all possible arguments for the same with my daughter in tow. So. Okay, but they
1: but she keeps coming with more requests, right?
0: Well, she I think she thinks if she keeps asking that eventually I think she's already discovered the the human characteristic of being beaten down. So I think she thinks if she just keeps coming at me, that eventually I'll just just out of the fatigue and uh, and just the wearing down of the questioning that I will eventually give in. But she does not know me. I <laughs> guess not. <laughs> uh, so anyway. Yeah. Hey, by the way, three months remaining. You'd be three surprised. What? Well, until I retire, you'd be amazed at how many people have come up to me, say, in the last two weeks, and asked, Yeah, so are you counting down? How many days left? And yeah. And my standard answer is, I'm living for the moment. I am not counting down. Now. <laughs> Well, because I'm not, I mean, I need, I, if I start thinking like that, then, you know, I still got kids. I'm trying to get through the AP exam, uh, in May. So I just worry if I start thinking that way, then I will have done them a disservice. I worry.
1: That's silly. You, You need a countdown timer. Um,
0: you didn't have a countdown timer. Were you talking about me having a countdown timer?
1: Well, I was I was already out of teaching. I, I had like six years as a n- administrator type executive. Um, so that's not the same thing as leaving the, the classroom. You just kinda go out with a whimper when you're in a <laughs> corporate type position. You just, you know, somebody else takes your 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 office. And you, you grab your things. You're, I mean, it's not just a box. That's kind of a cliche. Nobody just has a box of stuff. <laughs> so the potted yeah. plant sticking out. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, listen, but, but, I, I can appreciate yeah. what, and here it is. I think part of the reason why people ask me that question is because they are kind of, they're kind of uh, projecting how they're going to feel or how they think they're going to feel when the time comes for them to retire. and. I'm just not in the mind. I can't check out like that. And I think that when you start counting down, I think you have checked out. And so I'm trying to remain in the moment and trying not to, and this has always been my, the, the quote that I've always said that I never want to wish my days away. Just kind of focus on the here and now, focus on whatever I can learn and enjoy and experience each day. And then when May 26 rolls out, as they say down in yeah. South Louisiana I will be gone pecan. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I like the saying and I, I think your your math is a little wrong because you're going to be gone pecan uh after the the ap tests and there's that week and a half of you, you staring and wearing your hawaiian shirt <laughs> that's probably
0: that will probably be when the hawaiian shirt comes out i'll have to get another one i think but uh i'll have to buy one for the occasion
1: maybe get two and rotate every day or
0: something like that. <laughs> but anyway so as we sit here and we talk about the prospect of me entering into a phase where presumably I'll be more happy than in my current phase. Um, <laughs> I was I was reading an article in Time magazine. Uh, someone uh, someone shared an article with me from Time magazine. And and I must admit, it, it's never occurred to me to read Time magazine. Perhaps in the last 20 years, it's not occurred to me. Oh, to come read on. That magazine. No, I just don't. I used to. But, you know, whatever. And so, anyway, there was an article in Time this past week that, or two weeks ago, that it's attempted to define what happiness was and how the definition of happiness has changed, and what that means for us as a society, as a country, you know, and many of our efforts from an educational point of view. There, there has been, it has been stated often, either directly or indirectly, that. We're trying to create kids who are, by product of other virtues, happy. And I think the question is, one, is that possible? Two, is it even advisable um, that that should be a goal
1: that we seek as an education system? So that was that was a a question. I'm, I, I think I'm posing, uh,
0: I'm posing the question just based off. Yeah. The
1: start so of yeah. So now I'm gonna. I I think if you answer this question, you have to stumble. You have to work work around it. You can't just say here's here's the answer. You know. Right. Yes. They, they we want them to be happy, and that should be the goal. End of conversation. Um, However, I was asked that. Yeah, I was after asked that question in a job interview, and I think it was one of those canned type things, where the HR director read the question because they want everybody to have the same chance to be hired. ask the same thing, so they have a protocol, and they they were pretty straightforward. And then they asked, "Would you rather have your students learn or?" be happy and um i'm you know back i was probably a politician and i said well the act of learning sir will certainly make them happy because it's inherently enjoyable to learn <laughs> uh, and, and then i said next question um because that's about all they were looking for right they, they weren't you know looking for a a, a difficult app uh, answer on the nature of happiness and the nature of um Teaching and rearing uh, children—it uh, was a superficial question, and um, I—but I, I, I—I have thought about that question since, and I thought about it right now. But it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's come up a little bit, and you and I have talked about, um, yeah, uh, learning can be joy- joyful, but it's also—it needs to be painful because you're you're changing something that wasn't there, and um it, it, we've we've advocated for for more of a hard school where, where um, the outcome of of learning comes through a process, and it's equally important to learn how to overcome challenges and uh, overcome teachers and their demands. Uh, so it's it, I, I think it's a hard question, and I think that's kind of for me round one. and let me hear what you have to say. Well, the article initially presented
0: it from kind of an historical, point of view and what defined happiness as the founding fathers were writing the documents that would shape and direct this country. And that happiness was, you know, because it's written in the, it's written in our founding documents, the pursuit of happiness is considered an inalienable right. And it's a fair question to ask, what do you think the founding fathers meant by that? And from, you know, I think from their point of view, it, there's a, there's two aspects of this one is the freedom to choose what it is that you want to do now you know as far as a job goes you know you know sometimes you get lucky and you find yourself in a moment of synchronicity where your job your occupation also is the thing that makes you the most happiest but it was also about you know the success of the group That part of the response, part of the uh, way that you achieve happiness, is in your responsibility to provide for those things which makes the group happy, and to be happy about that. Um, I don't know how you equate that today, because that does not seem to be the case. There does not seem today to be a notion of uh, of that being what constitutes happiness. St. Augustine said that, you know, happiness was not possible, yeah. at least not in this world. You know? And um, our favorite guy, Nietzsche, suggested that it shouldn't be a goal. Um, I want my kids to feel comfortable in a classroom. I want my kids to feel that they can contribute, that there's nothing keeping them from being able to voice a thought, to voice an opinion, to be able to defend an opinion. But as you stated, you know, that the process of learning, while the results can be joyous, they can be, quote unquote, fun. They can be interesting. um, The process itself requires a break either from something you used to do or something that you had no idea you could do. And by that very nature, that's difficult. That's hard. That's uh, that's laborious and. You know, some people find joy in that, and if so, well, that's that synchronicity I was talking about. But
1: yeah, I mean, you you could answer that by saying, you know, not all the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are there are, there are certainly moments that are joyful and moments that are really boring and everything in between. Whenever you're, I mean, this is you know, you you'll you'll relate to this being stuck in a room with other people <laughs> where you don't. Decide what what's the conversation, uh, or what what's the activities is for a lot of people, myself and yourself included, stressful, and uh, unless they're completely with you, you that you're being challenged, that you're engaged, that you care about it, Uh, and that does happen. It happens off and on in a classroom, and that's why you you can track engagement, and you've you've seen the little arrows that are. Uh, graphs <clears throat> where they show that the initial engagement you know, lasts for about ten minutes, and then there's a you know five minute lull, and then a, and then a lower little mountain for the next one, and then then they ring the bell and send you out out to recess or whatever. Um, so I I I think mm-hmm. that first of all there there's there's a difference between happiness and fun, and you know most. Kids are, are not thinking about happiness, which is more of a lasting, enduring type quality, but they're they're thinking about enjoyment and and fun, and and maybe <clears throat> expecting that. And when they walk into the to any room, you know, and they they're they're looking for that. And the, and if they can't find it with the activity the teacher provides, they'll find it with each other. You know, so so students are not. I hate to say like those squirrels out there in the backyard, but <laughs> maybe that that is a, a good metaphor. But I, I think that they're they're after something quite different than happiness. So, what do you think schools
0: mean when they? What do you think that guy meant, or what do you who, what do you think that the people who wrote those questions? What was their idea about what constitutes
1: happiness? Well, that kind of an HR interview is to get a score is to turn something into a number and and is there <clears throat> a right answer on that? I think it's probably one where you, they're not looking for you to be on one side or the other. but but you know so I, it would be hard to see how they how they scored it because you, you could certainly make a case for either, but that you could provide a rationale for what, what you said. Um, but it's a screening interview, and so they're they're trying to look look for crazy, you know, and, uh, you know. So if you have this extreme answer that, you know, it's it. My my students need to be happy all the time, and I want to be their best friend. Uh, they're looking for that kind of thing to say. Okay, check him off the list. Uh, we're right. not going to call him back. So I th- I think that's what it was. But philosophically, uh, you know, I mean, I I don't want to say that. I'm smarter than the HR director, but you know, I could certainly hold my own with a philosoph- philosophical question with somebody trained in HR. And so, I don't think they're they're looking for theory. You know, they're they're just looking for uh, specifics in in, a, in about 30 seconds. So,
0: happiness, as we understand it, would seem to be something that when I say we, as in you and I, I'm not. I don't necessarily put administration and and district personnel and, and what have you. I don't put that in the same category, but it would seem that if happiness is a goal, it's something that has to be taught, not taught, but it has to be aimed for in conjunction with maybe other lessons. Maybe that, you know, the notion of to be able to find a way to teach students how to enjoy the work, how to enjoy the um, the kind of the difficulties that are associated with learning something new for the first time and trying to become uh, competent enough to be able to say, "I know, fill in the blank subject."
1: Well, I, I think most teachers believe that their own class is interesting and enjoyable and engaging. and, and, and I you know the, the students may or, or may not agree but what we're trying to do as as teachers is to make it inherently enjoyable and and, but also have a level of challenge and kind of marry those two concepts and and it's 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 a difficult task if you have 20 30 students in a room to get them all there because they're coming in with all kinds of different expectations perspectives um but that that would be the I guess the the long term goal of a faculty of a, a staff who's educating a, a child, you know, over many classes and many years, is to allow them to pursue interest in, in and extend what you're doing in the classroom. Meaning, really be captured by it and 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 want to want to know more. And if you, if you've accomplished that, then then that's a that's probably what we would call a master teacher.
0: But I think even a master teacher are going to have their detractors. And, I, you know, you, you ask yourself you about when well, you ask yourself about how mm-hmm. then do you try to pull something like that off? I think, you know, if you want your kids, quote unquote, happy, mm-hmm. I, I think it requires an, almost a rewiring of how the, the student kind of approaches the work, you know, and, and as far as, you know, and I think every time you go into a classroom, uh, realistically speaking, I mean, this isn't a movie, you know, this isn't <laughs> Jaime Escalante walking into a classroom and then six months oh. later, all the kids are experts in math. But I'm, what I'm, I think you, what you try to do kind of in a realistic sense, you're trying to hit the majority. And sometimes if you can hit the majority that could tangentially bring in a few others, but there's always going to be a handful of kids, And it's not necessarily that it's the handful of kids that don't like you. It's just a handful of kids that just don't jive with what you have to say and what you're trying to accomplish. But um, but I I do think it, you know, I do think it has to do with trying to recondition them. And that sounds bad, but reconditioning them to enjoy the challenges and in that, in that, that that you
1: can find enjoyment. Which means that you're setting achievable goals, and they're getting these these shorter term wins, so that they can gain confidence and self-efficacy. Um, I did a study um, looking at middle school students who were um, disengaged, based upon a, a survey that I submitted, but but the highest performers academically, you know, and like the top five percent in math, and so this so they're they're high achieving but low engagement um, and, and did qualitative interviews. And I remember one student, I, I asked, first, I, I, it was a boy, I asked him, do you like math? And he said, absolutely, I like math. And so, of course, as a good qualitative researcher, I wanted to know why. And, <laughs> and I just said that, why? And, and he said, um, be, I like it because it's easy. And that's another little statement that, that hung with me. So, in, in a way, they're they're getting some type of self-efficacy, but it's not at a high enough level where there's optimal challenge. Um, but I think a lot of students would would give that answer. You know, if you give them an easy class, they're happy as hell. You know, um, so they're in your, in your room for different reasons. And I think you you said it a minute ago. Uh, and you're not gonna get 30 wins if you get 18 to 20 um you're you're pretty good. I wonder if they, you know, and the,
0: I think the next question with them would be although the kid probably wouldn't be able to answer this question is where does he get the idea that something easy is something fun or something that is favored with you. And I think about how uh schools today how they define happiness and how they define a successful student. And I think there is something to the notion and we've talked about this before in relation to technology that with technology and with other new ideas comes a, an approach that seeks to mitigate the difficulties that everything is about trying to find a quicker, easier path. uh, And, you know, teachers set themselves up by saying, listen, you know, there's only certain things you really need to know. And so we're going to be kind of practical about this and, And I mean, I think that's a conversation the kid can have in their own head. That should not necessarily be the approach that the teacher has going into the classroom. You know, I have some students that are incredibly burdened by all sorts of responsibilities, be they of an academic, a a extracurricular or family sense. Um, And so when a kid who... Is in my class and preparing for a test decides to shoot for a C because that's the more practical, easier uh, objective to reach because they have 50 mm-hmm. other things going on. Then, in the words of Deion Sanders, that's a business decision. You decide that you know yeah. you're not going to you're not going to go all out all the way across the board. You have to let something go. I just don't think it serves us well for the teacher to act like that.
1: No, you you have to you know, try uh, to to reach everybody is is in, in a way that uh, meets your own standard. You know, as, as a teacher, also, um, but it's it, it's it's troubling in, in a way. You know that that students will take the, the least uh, amount of work, um, and and it, it's possible that, that that's something of our own doing. You know, we, we give them different, you know, in some schedules uh, they, they have eight classes, you know, eight teachers, eight, eight transitions or seven transitions from class to class. Um, <clears throat> and we don't, uh, in that room, even acknowledge what happened before. They're, now I'm a history student, I sit down with a bunch of different kids, and then now I'm a, a, a math student, now I'm a German student. Um, so I think that's a little, <clears throat> it, it can undo motivation and create that idea that this is something that we need to to get through um to to get to that next bell and then to get that to that next one um i I think that we've created this idea of that school is work and and that students need to get done what, what is assigned to them um and and that seems to be the Emphasis and the emphasis, as we've said many times, on testing and on a number, um, and 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 maybe we we've set up a system where where students are behaving in a predictable manner.
0: Because the more predictable they become, then the more you can curtail your efforts towards that predictability, and well, yeah. ideally, the more successful
1: you are. Yeah, and students are reacting to the. The overall task, you know, what's the game here? Going to school. Well, you you need to pay attention. You need to study this. You need to give this these responses to a test. You need to sit quietly so you don't get in trouble. And, and so, but but they can do that. And you know, even to get a, a high grade in most classes, not your class, of course, um, they don't need to give their full effort. They can give partial if they can get a. 90 or you said 91 or whatever it is um, they're trying to save that time because their time is, is is scarce and it's finite um, and the this the classes that get the time often are are things like math and you know, core type classes um, that, that that, um, but then students have other other classes that they would consider less, less important. So they're going to put their time where, where they think it would pay off. Well, a couple of things. One,
0: you know, I tried to, and I don't know when I started this, if I had this in mind necessarily. But you talked about the idea of a kid leaving math class and going into a history class. And the kid mentally goes from being a math person to a history person at least for the duration of the class. But uh, one of the things I like to do, and I ask this question often just as a way of introducing the class, (laughs) is with the assumption that they always learn something interesting in history class, uh, what interesting thing have they learned in any of their other classes for that day or for the previous day? And part of this has to do with my desire to learn stuff because I know these kids are learning things that I never came across before. Sometimes I know it, but other times I don't. Uh, but I try to encourage the kids to find the interest in everything. You know, the, the I, and I, t- I tell them this many times. Everything is interesting if you look at it in the right way. And so I'll ask a kid, what did you learn in math class? What did you learn in science? What did you learn in music? What did you learn in art that was interesting? And uh, not everybody chimes in, but I think that they like being able to talk about other things, even within the context of a history class, maybe me asking a uh, lens validity to it and the fact that it's important in and of itself. And it doesn't matter where you are, you can discuss it at any time, but um, you know, that's one thing that I have kind of sought to do. I don't know if it, it creates anything long lasting or even meaningful, but I find it interesting.
1: Well, you're probably one of the few teachers on the planet that does that. <laughs> um, I think it's, a, it's it's admirable because what you what you're doing has a cumulative effect. You know, you are acknowledging that every day, um, and and maybe there's there's one other teacher in the campus uh, doing it. Uh, but I think that you this is the type of thing that if you're doing it, you should mention it. Have you told you know other people that you're doing this besides uh, telling me and the people, the two or three people who are listening to this?
0: <laughs> i don't know if i' i don't know if it's ever come up in conversation I think maybe one other teacher I specifically told but I can't yeah. i I can't think of a, a a time where I told anybody else though
1: yeah i I think it's a great idea and and it's not going to take that much of your precious time you know right. and, and not everybody needs to respond but I'm, I'm I bet that they I mean you're saying that you you learned some things, so do the other students. Yeah. And and they're also learning this this overall message that you're honoring what they what they did before. And it also probably helps them transition to your class and and be, you know, so you don't have uh it, it provides a transition, which most classes don't have, they'll say sit down and turn to page 42, you know. Well you and I have talked
0: and we have written about you know kind of the importance of What does it mean to have like a a true kind of cross-curricular kind of approach to things? We've talked about the idea of teachers who are equally licensed and accredited in disparate topics. Um, And it allows for people to think in different ways and maybe approach one subject with two different modes of thinking, Mm -hmm. maybe even getting a better understanding of it. And so, uh, you know, again, I'm not sure I started out doing that. Uh, with those these kind of highfalutin ideas, but it's something <laughs> that dawned on me as I started doing it that there that there was something beneficial out of this.
1: Yeah, there's got to be a way you can sell it. You know, you can sell them. <laughs> it's the Miller method. I just um, I just gave it away for free on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, dang it. it! It seemed like we had a product it there. Um, <laughs>
0: But I think uh, yeah. one of the things I want to make clear, though, and because I, I, I said two things seemingly contradictory in the last 10 minutes. One is the idea that the kids spend a great deal of time trying to find shortcuts conditioned to do so by the adults around them, both their parents, but also uh, other teachers. But I think it's also important to take note of the fact that a lot of kids are also, you know, working or took us off. You know, they, I mean, they are spending an inordinate amount of oh, time. Yeah. Um my biggest, my biggest concern is that they are doing it for the right reasons and that they have the right, um, uh, the right objective in mind. You know, there, there's a lesson to be learned from hard work and it's a, it is not a monetary thing. It is not a quantifiable thing. It is something that goes to your character. It goes to your morals. It goes to, uh, the way in which you view the world, and the, how you interact with it, and so you know, even my students who work very, very, very hard. Um, when I say that you know, I, I question how kids are approaching hard work. It it has also just as much to do with what they, what lessons are they learning from working hard.
1: Um, and and the, and then there are lots of motivations to do, to do something and, and and so you can do two things at once um, i'm i've created a a survey that teases some of this this idea out but for example you know why would you read things outside of class and 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 you could have you number one you could not do it at all you could be completely amotivated you wouldn't want to do it um but you could do it because you're you want to please your parents um you could do it because it's fun, uh, or you could do it even more to be exposed to new ideas. Um, or, or, or go back to completely extrinsic. Um, it's going to help you, you know, on the AP test. And, and so all of those are relevant. And, and, and I think that, that students have, um, it's not an either or. So they, they could love your class and love the process, but but also want that grade. Well, it, you know, and
0: it goes back to the idea of what are we training these kids to do? What do we define as happiness? What do we define as well-being in a student? And, you know, I can understand that a kid is just not interested in reading. But at some point, reading no longer became beneficial to him or it was not. it was not made clear to him how, Beneficial it could be, and so I think you know. Every time I see a kid that acts in a way that is not academically, from an academic point of view, something that's not desirable, uh, I can't help but think that at some point that was taught out of him. And it's not a question of him inherently saying to himself in some sort of deep meaningful way, "Books just doesn't do it for me." You know, I books does it for everybody. I mean, you have. You know, and this is the kind of the crazy thing when you sit there and you try to have these kind of deep conversations with your colleagues or with your administration, they're talking about something as if the last 3000 years didn't count, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, you know, that there's nothing to be gleaned from the approaches of the ancients or the, uh, or those that we look up to in various ways, um, as if they, you know, here I am in 2023, and we have figured out a new way of approaching things. And so part of this is this presentism that is so uh, prevalent in teachers and administrations today. Um, I, but I, th- I think we need a, a step back off of that.
1: Well, that's a, a terrifying concept that you introduced, the idea of teaching something you know, out of a, a student. Uh, and I, I hate to say we're really good at that, but <laughs> uh, but we've done a pretty pretty darn good job in reading specifically um, to the point where we we I mean I, I, I guess you know, people are reading text all the time, but to read something that's uh, a book, you know, something that's been prepared, an extended narrative, whatever you you would call it, um, we, we've we've. Taught that out of you know lots of students um, because they they we've communicated that, that it has a a different purpose. It's not supposed to be enjoyable by itself, but it, it's uh, instrumental to something else. And uh, but I, I it's a fascinating coinage there to teach something out of a student.
0: Well, I mean that as you say, you know, we, we are pretty good at kind of labeling those things. Whether we teach enthusiasm out of people, we teach curiosity out of people. Uh, whether we emphasize because we're because we spend so much time emphasizing the tricks and the in tr- the angles and the strategies, we teach out of these kids uh, an appreciation for the work, an appreciation for uh, the pursuit. And, you know, t- to go back to, to go back to our kind of a founding fathers, you know, the pr- pursuit of happiness is not how it was originally coined. I mean, we talk about John Locke and, and his, mm-hmm. and his um, philosophies about what should be, uh, what should, what should not be touched by man, what should not be touched or interfered with by kings and prime ministers and rulers, um, this idea that, and I'm kind of, I think I've lost my train of thought, but the, how we approach things um, can build that happiness. It can build that enjoyment. Um, It just depends upon how we decide to endeavor to teach the subject or teach our our students.
1: Well, I, I think the founding fathers left that statement ambiguous um because they're not telling us what happiness is and it, you know by any means uh, or how, how, to get to it, doing, how to get to yeah, it yeah yeah i mean you, you and i are trying to do it right here we they should have had us around <laughs> but but they but they're saying they're protecting the pursuit which uh, is another way of saying um, um give people a lot of freedom and, and i think you said it a, a second ago there are certain areas that are private and 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 and, and schools do a an okay job of that Yeah, you know, but but i think if we have a, a superficial definition of what happiness is in the classroom um you're, you're going to get the results that often we see meaning well the idea that happiness equals Fun and maybe something that's right. easy, and and students are not challenged. They're in their comfort zone. They're they're content. Um, but we're but when we ter- use the term happiness, we're talking about um, that that student later on. You know, we've said um, we we've we've quoted uh, Martin Buber about the the thirty year old uh, uh, whom that 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 child will become. And, and so that so it's, so we're we're willing to sacrifice a lot of effort and some discomfort um, now to <laughs> ideally create a, a learner and a, somebody we'd like to have have a sit and have dinner with later on when they're 30 it'd be interesting to
0: do a kind of a longitudinal study where you know you, if I'm using the term correctly but you know you talk about interviewing these kiddos and asking them you know what um, you know, what do they think of math or, you know, what, you know, what subject do they like the best? It'd be interesting to touch base with that kiddo, uh, like I said, 20 years later. Uh, which class did you like best in high school? And you would think that given the maturity that can happen in 20 years, that they might view those classes differently. And, you know, we strive to try to get them to that point much earlier on. It allows them to have a better chance of appreciating what they're doing. But I do wonder what the difference is between, especially nowadays, you talk to some of these kids and they are so great, not all of them, but a lot of them are so great obsessed and they are so obsessed with, with doing all the right things that they're supposed to do. I wonder how they look at that, that experience 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah. The kid who says that math is his favorite subject because it's easy. What does he think of math 30, 20 years later? Did he, fit, did, Does he still look back on that class? We've both had experiences in talking to adults who look back on their teachers from high school. And it is not the easy teachers that tend to get remembered. It are the ones that provided the most thought provoking and in some cases challenging experiences within the class
1: well so so we have a a new book that you and i are going to write it's going to be the sequel um to our our previous book Uh, the center cannot hold critical look at contemporary education available on amazon exclusively Um, on amazon yeah, because why, why go anywhere else, right? Why would you, yes. <laughs> so so we do have the ability to collect longitudinal data because we're freaking old. <laughs> and um, and there, there's a way to connect with students uh, from that we've had in the past. And wouldn't it be fascinating if, if we each did individual interviews with some of our students who remember us and and so they could reflect back. There could be a little comedy involved. You know, talking about hare Miller when he was, you know, in his late twenties, if, if you can find if any of those people are still alive. But <laughs> um, but I think that would be an interesting story. I mean, I, I thought about doing that with my dissertation study, talking to these academically gifted students five years later. Right. Um, and I and I, you know, I'm still thinking that would be an interesting story to tell, but more personal would be where you have a shared experience with that student so they remember you you can ask about your class specifically Mm -hmm. not just school in general and and we'd like to know you know what became of them you know um, you know i'm a marketing executive now and you know some of it could be funny because you you picture this kind of knucklehead and suddenly (laughs) they're making five times as much money as you are and they're, you know, they have a respectful position someplace else Uh, or they're a teacher or they're just, you know, kind of hanging out, you know, living with their parents or something. Um, But I I think that, you know, that would be really easy to write because we would just quote them all the time. You know, we don't have to write anything, just copy and paste.
0: I think it would be illuminating.
1: Um, I am
0: happy to say, and I cannot believe that this would not be the same of you, but there are students that have an awareness of what they're going through now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I was very fortunate that somebody thought it was a good idea to nominate me as teacher of the year uh, Ah. at my school this past year. And in the course of doing that and during the ceremony where they picked the winner uh, or they uh, revealed the winner, they were, the administration, the people in charge of this, were very kind to elicit responses from our students as to why they think I, I, or the, any of the other teachers should be teacher of the year. And mm-hmm. they included some of those quotes and some of those emails uh, in the presentation of each teacher. You know, so it was like it was like a, you, know, you see on those award shows—they first announced the nominees. And then right. they announced the winner. And so when they were announcing the nominees, they included um, some of these quotes. And and you know, I, I read back on these. Uh, they only like used like four, but I I think I had like twenty or thirty emails that were sent. Um, and it makes you think that for as for as much as you get dejected sometimes, and as much as you worry that. These students are heading down a path that universally you think is a bad idea, you are often reminded that that's not the case across the board and I can't help but think and I know for a fact. That your students, many of your students had an awareness at the time that they were in your class of how fortunate they were and so. I think even as we talk about the fact that there are things that need to change and there's emphasized emphasis that we need to uh, bring to the fore, uh, mm-hmm. there are there are students that still, even with all this kind of pressure to seek the mm-hmm. easy way or seek this other path, there's a lot of students that still get it.
1: Wow, that's that's heady stuff here, Miller. And to, to be able to to read that in, in this this time during these last three months. I think that's that's an insightful um there, there's a line from david bowie you probably thought about it too you know the the song called changes i was just thinking they, that they market, <laughs> yeah we talk about children and they're quite aware of what they're going they're through. going through exactly yeah that's that's really really good and i yeah, you know
0: we've been hanging out too much together but i was i was i was it, it, i almost quoted the same things <laughs>
1: really uh, you were about to say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would have been pretty cool. Um, well, I love that story. I think it's actually a, a good way to to round things out and, and give students the credit they deserve. That, Indeed. That's, a, that's a nice nice uh, moment. I appreciate hearing that here, Miller.
0: Well, even in this time when there are so many things that we can question and so many things that we can bemoan, There is yet one more sign of hope, and that is baseball spring training. And the the coming of spring means the coming of baseball. Uh, The fond expectancy of spring uh, brings forth many lovely feelings and hopes and dreams and aspirations, Uh, something that no other can do, like the great game. The national pastime. Still, I don't care what those hooligans that prefer football uh, say. Um, as George Will said, that uh, football is is a horrible concept. It's uh, brutal violence punctuated by committee meetings, and so and so it, baseball is the only only true American gentleman sport. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, sometimes I just can't argue with you Helen Herr Miller. that was well, well said. <laughs> wow. All um, right, so yeah. with
0: that and with uh, with uh, hopefully a good weekend ahead for you, I shall bid you adieu Herr Dr Bourgeois
1: and auf Wiedersehen her auf Herr Miller.